Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. You know, what is God like is the question that we're trying to answer. And God, amazingly, does a pretty good job of explaining to us what he's like. And so uh, we're going to begin with just a short little video about... If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. We're going to look at the second key word in this statement, gracious. The Hebrew word is chanun, which is related to the Hebrew noun chen. This word chen is often translated as grace or favor. And if you study how this word is used throughout the Bible, you find a fascinating story. One meaning of chen is delightful or favorable. In the Psalms, a skilled poet is said to have lips of chen. That is, he can craft beautiful words that bring delight. Or a dazzling piece of jewelry is an ornament of chen. It attracts attention and favor. This is why chen is often the word used to describe a gift given with delight or favor. In these cases, chen could be translated as grace. Like in the story of Esther, who approaches the king of Persia to ask that she and her people be spared from death. She calls this a request for chen. And because the king delights in Esther, he favors her and grants her wish. So, giving a gift of favor is chen because it's motivated by delight. And the most extreme kind of chen is showing favor to someone who should get what they deserve, not a generous gift. Like Jacob, who cheated his brother Esau, ran away, and then after 20 years wants to come back and make things right. So he comes to Esau asking, may I find chen in your eyes? Jacob isn't asking for what is fair, but for favor. And surprisingly, that's what Esau gives him. He chooses to delight in his brother Jacob and show him grace that he doesn't deserve. Now, chen requires a generous spirit, which people sometimes have. But in the Bible, the one who shows more chen than anyone else is God. Like when God rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they quickly betray him by giving their allegiance to a golden idol as their God. But then Moses steps in and asks God to consider giving a gift that they don't deserve. And God says, yes, by showing the ultimate act of chen, forgiveness and a promise to be with these people. This character trait of God is so reliable that over 40 times in the book of Psalms, people cry out for God's chen when they're sick or in danger, or when the Israelites are in exile. And the biblical prophets like Isaiah looked back to God's chen in the past and boldly declared that God will one day show chen to his people by delivering them and all creation from death and ruin. Now, when we turn to the authors of the New Testament, they describe God's chen with the Greek word charis, which means gracious gift. Like when we're introduced to Jesus in the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus is God's glorious charis become human, sent into a world of people trapped in darkness and death. Because according to the Apostle Paul, we're like the living dead. God has handed humanity over to the destructive consequences of our selfish decisions. But, Paul says, God is rich in mercy, and by his charis, he's rescued us. 
He's talking about how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are offered to us as a generous gift of life that is more powerful than death. And as with any gift, all one has to do is receive it. So now you can see why the biblical authors talk so much about this description of God's character throughout the Bible. When people are willing to own their failures and ask God for chen, he has a consistent and generous response. God gives the gift of himself, his life and his love. And this is what it means that God is gracious. <laughs> That's from the Bible Project. Um, so the Hebrew word that's translated gracious is chen, chen. All right, so let's all practice that. On the count of three, say out loud together loud, chen, okay? One, two, three, chen. Gesundheit. <laughs> Sorry. I thought it was funny. Chen, <laughs> chen. But uh, gracious, and, and, and you can tell that it's, it's difficult to translate from one language into another because the word has kind of a bigger meaning than graciousness. It's generosity, it's delight, and so to captivate what uh, God is trying to communicate there it takes more than just one word, and it takes pictures, and, and that's what scripture is. It's a, it's a It's a collection mostly of stories to help us understand who God is, who we are, and, and what life is all about. But this is from uh, the passage in Exodus 34. going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all of the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai. And as the, Lord, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Can you imagine what that looked like? God standing there with Moses. And proclaim the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. And so God's glory that Moses desired to see, and, and as he manifested his glory, he declared his name. So his name is his glory. His glory is his name. His name is the description of who he is, what God is like, his characteristic, his nature. And this was the second copy of the Ten Commandments because the first copy was broken by Moses when he descended Mount Sinai, the original time, and saw all of Israel worshiping the golden calf. Remember the story? If you, if you don't remember it, if you don't recall it, watch the movie, or better yet, read the book. All right? <laughs> So you can imagine God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt through all the plagues that he put on the Egyptians, and finally they're delivered, and they cross the Red Sea, and God does all these miracles to deliver them and takes them to Mount Sinai where they can worship and, and be free from uh, slavery, and then he gives them the Ten Commandments, and while he's doing that, 
They're worshiping an idol in the camp. And Moses comes down and is irate with the people, uh, with the Israelites, and he actually throws the tablets of stone down and they break. And I think it's a powerful symbol. It's, it's really, it's more than a symbol. It really happened. But it, it, it tells, it teaches us something that the law was broken completely before it even got down the mountain. All right? Uh, the purpose of the law was, was not to make mankind perfect, but to reveal how imperfect we were and our need for grace. And even in the giving of the law, <clears throat> uh, it, that is demonstrated. It, 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 it's impossible not to break the law. Right? Moses' actions demonstrate that. But it demonstrates God's mercy. I mean, how many like, parents, how, how, how much do you like repeating yourself when you tell your kids something to do? Right? And, like, and if you wrote it down for them, and they still don't get it, you know, are we gracious? We tend to be not gracious. But here, God giving uh, the law to his people demonstrates his incredible graciousness. And most of us would have been irate after all God had done. So this is, this is, you know, too often we read the Old Testament stories and we, we go away thinking God was mean and he is destructive and, and it's the exact opposite. Okay? How gracious a God who endures such rebelliousness in his people to deliver them. And even while delivering them, they rebel against them, yet he still gives them the law. And these are instructions to help them navigate life and, and, and to reveal himself as the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. It's in the context of Israel's rebellion and all that that God shows his mercy. Grace is not a New Testament idea, all right? It's a, a defining attribute of the eternal, unchanging God. And the law was actually given as an act of God's grace. Right? It's not like the Old Testament is law, New Testament is grace. No, it's grace all the way through. Okay? And gracious is one of the first words that God used to describe himself. Um, so what does gracious mean? <clears throat> what does this word mean? Literally, to bend or stoop in kindness to inferior, to an inferior, to favor, to bestow, to show favor, gracious. Or, or merciful, to be gracious or merciful, to have or show mercy. So the idea of bending down and, and treating an inferior with favor is a big part of it, but also this idea of delight and being, uh, being delightful and being favorable. In other words, you know, God is just that kind of a person. If you're around him, you like to be around him because he's likable. He's delightful. He loves to show favor on everyone that comes to him. It's just the way he is. 
It means a gift or generosity motivated by that delight. And so God is generous. He's exceptionally generous. And I think that we fail to comprehend the generosity of God. You know why? Because we're humans. And we're we're just like, if there's one thing we don't have, that's the thing we fixate on. Come on, come on. All right? I mean, I see this especially when I, because I travel to third world countries. <clears throat> and I'm always shocked at how happy people are when they have absolutely nothing. You know, when I would describe their, 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 uh, their level of living their, uh, as destitute, but they can be happy. And then I come back, especially if you do a mission trip, if you've not done it before, it's when you come back is when you experience culture shock. I mean, have you been in a grocery store lately? Huh? Yes. No, you just use it. My wife, she doesn't go to grocery stores anymore. She sits on her recliner. Because I love shopping from my recliner. <laughs> hey, we're so spoiled! Come on! It blows me still when I walk into Myers. I'm like, how can there be this much food? Americans throw away more food than the rest of the whole world eats. You know that. It's true. It's ridiculous. We live, we live. God's generosity. Go outside today. Is it beautiful or what? Absolutely stunning. God's generosity is everywhere, because that's who he is, and and his creation reflects that. And is that what we picture when we think of God? Is that what comes to mind first? God's always motivated by delight and grace, even when we don't deserve it. So this example in the animation they refer to, I think, is a good one, the relationship between Jacob and Esau. They were brothers. If you remember the story, Jacob deceived Esau, uh, they were both kind of knuckleheads. <laughs> Neither one of them were very well-behaved children. Uh, but Esau actually uh, steals his, uh, uh, I'm saying Jacob steals Esau's birthright and his, his blessing, and then uh, Esau gets mad, he's going to kill him. So uh, Jacob runs away, and he's gone for decades. And he comes back, <clears throat> and he, so he comes back, though, in a very <laughs> kind of a neat way. Jacob has become a large family. He's very wealthy. And so he sends uh, different groups of his family ahead of him, and each group has presents uh, to give to Esau. And so it's like group after group, and Esau's going, what's all this stuff? <laughs> Finally, uh, Jacob comes, and this is the interaction uh, that they have. Esau uh, says, what do you mean by all this company which I met? All these different, his kids and his wives and his, uh, you know, all of his descendants coming in waves. Um, and, and Jacob says, these are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. What a, what a change in the attitude Jacob had toward Esau during those intervening years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Esau said, I have enough, my brother. 
Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please. If I have found grace in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. Inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I've seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. And so we, we see this idea of Jacob saying, there's so much grace here and I want to express grace and I want you to receive grace and, and because God has been so gracious. Jacob did not deserve grace or favor from Esau, right? Uh, their relationship was broken and, and Jacob had done some really bad things. In this story, we see Jacob coming and displaying hen, displaying that graciousness, bowing down before him and giving him gifts. And so it's a display of Jacob's grace, but it was entreating Esau to be gracious in return. And sure enough, Esau was gracious in return. And so they were both demonstrating grace and, and their relationship Grace restored their relationship after decades of separation. And you know what? That's what grace does. It restores relationship that's been broken. The grace, grace between brothers, grace between people, grace between God and mankind is meant to restore relationship. We see this also in the prophets, Isaiah uh, 30. Uh, Isaiah prophesied, says, therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. I like how God is the God of justice in the context of being gracious and merciful. God's justice is not in competition with his grace and mercy. His grace and mercy is not in competition with his justice. He is always 100% just and always 100% merciful and gracious. Blessed are those who wait for him, for the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. In the message, a more uh, contemporary paraphrase of this passage, it says, God's not finished. He's waiting to be gracious to you. He's gathering strength to show mercy to you. God takes time to do everything right, everything. Those who wait for him are the lucky ones. Oh, yes, People of Zion, citizens of Jerusalem, your time of tears is over. Cry for help and you'll find it's grace and more grace. The moment he hears, he'll answer. That's what God is like. Grace and more grace. Throughout scripture, God is consistently gracious even though humanity continually rebels against him to their own destruction. Even though uh, we rebel, even though we behave in ways that are destructive, that are contrary to God's words, to God's will, and God's character, he is gracious. He is merciful. And his grace is meant to restore relationships. 
Of course, this prophecy is speaking about uh, God patiently waiting to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, it, the law was given out of grace. God is gracious throughout all of Scripture. But we as humans need a Savior and to enable us to live in right relationship with God. Okay, so that grace is extended, but we need a Messiah. We need a deliverer. We need someone to come and not only communicate, but be the propitiation, the payment through which we can obtain the fullness of God's grace and the transformation of our character. And that person, that Messiah, was Jesus Christ when he came physically embodying the grace of God, which we learn from John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word, referring to Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, This, is, uh, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Jesus Christ, full of grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's grace. Jesus is God's grace put into human form. All right? It's like compacted down into a body all of the attributes of God himself. In Jesus, God is stooping down in kindness. He, 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 he left heaven and he came down and took upon human form. And it was motivated by his love for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. That's God's grace that motivated that, right? And he bestows on us a gift we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's mercy and grace. We deserve his punishment. But because he's gracious, he, 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 he goes to the end. He will continue to offer grace until it's, until it's no longer able to be received. And according to the word of God and throughout all of scripture, that's the moment that you die. If you haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you haven't accepted the gift of Jesus's sacrifice for your sin, if you haven't accepted the truth of who God is by all the ways he displays it, both in scripture and the testimonies of others and in the creation surrounding us, if you haven't accepted that, but you, if, if you are adamant in your rebellion, in your refusal to bow down to him, to receive his gift, then it's too late. The Bible says it is appointed for every person once to die and then the judgment. And the one that will be standing there is Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who's rooted for you in every way all the way through your life. But if you've resisted and denied him, God's done everything he can do to save you. All you have to do is receive it. That's God's graciousness. In the same way that Esau had to accept the gift offered to him by his brother Jacob, in order for their relationship to be restored, we must accept the gift 
from God of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a bit of humility there, right? Esau had to, had to give up his anger and his, his desire of, of revenge that he had when he was younger, and he had to say to Jacob, I received that gift. Come on, let the relationship be restored. You and I have to lay down something as well, our own pride, our own arrogance, our own self-will, and accept the gift that Jesus gave so that we can enter into a restored relationship and experience the fullness of, of the grace that God is. Hebrews said, let, in the book of Hebrews, it's, it said this way, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, remember, chen is gracious, but also means delight, for the delight set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of, of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross so that you and I and every person who accepts him as Lord can experience his joy. And if you remember from our joy teaching, I think it was last year we did a series on joy, the, he, the, the Greek word for joy and grace, charis, it's the same root word for both joy and grace. There's a, there's a connection. In, in English, there's not really a connection between grace and joy. It's like they're two separate ideas. But in Hebrew, they're, they're absolutely connected. They're different expressions of the same idea. And so grace is delight. It's being happy. It's being joyful. It's like when, 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 it's like when you see your granddaughter. And he, she's picked some dead dandelions to give you. <laughs> you know, and I don't go, what are you doing with those weeds? I don't do that. I'm like, oh, thank you, Esther. They're beautiful. They're dead weeds. <laughs> That's how God is. A million, a billion, a trillion, an infinite amount more. Isn't that great? What a great God we serve. So Titus tells us about God's grace. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation. And remember that the word salvation means total healing and restoration. Basically, everything that's broken becomes fixed. It's not just getting to heaven. It's getting everything restored to the point of you becoming who God in, intended you to be when he first created, when he thought you into being your best Oh, what God desires of you. So God's grace brings that. And, and that salvation, that grace has appeared to all men, teaching us that de denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. In other words, right now, we're supposed to live this way. <clears throat> Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, we live differently now in expectation of the future blessed hope and the appearing of Jesus when Jesus comes back and we'll be able to see it in its fullness. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. You know who those people are? Us, you and I, zealous for good works. God's grace is meant to change us. It teaches us and it enables us to live differently, 
to be different. Different from what? Different from what we used to be. Okay, not just different from them people. God's more interested in you being different from what you were. So where you were broken, you're fixed. Where you were weak, you're strong. Where you were sinful, you're now a saint. God's grace teaches and enables us to be that way. And the motivation to live differently is not fear of punishment, but grace, delight, favor that we find in God. If it's just fear, that's not of God. I mean, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay, God is terrifying. If you've not experienced the fear of God, you haven't met God yet. Okay? But what changes us is the delight that we see that this amazing, immense, awe-filling God actually delights in us and wants us to be with him and wants us to be like him. And then that grace changes us so that we can be in his presence without fear because we're like him. And the way I like to explain it, it's like God is a consuming fire, right? It says that in the Bible. All right, and so a, a pile of dry wood doesn't like a consuming fire, right? What likes a consuming fire? What feels comfortable in fire? Fire, all right? And so if you've been set on fire with God, and if you're burning with his grace and his truth, then being in God's presence isn't harmful. It's actually energizing. You, 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 you join in. Does that make sense? It helps me understand how, it, how we can be with God in his intensity because we are made into his image. Okay, Jesus was motivated by joy, and we must be as well. <clears throat> the point of this study is not just to learn about what, how God is like, but also to learn that this is how God wants us to be like. We are to be, a, we are, and uh, Peter, it says that we become partakers of the divine nature through the promises given to us in God's word. So <clears throat> Jesus was motivated by joy. We should be motivated by joy. Um, living Christ-like doesn't just mean a living without uh, committing sin. It means being gracious, being delightful, being full of joy, like God is gracious. Do we delight in others to the degree that we are willing to suffer in order for them to see our love for them? That's what Jesus did, didn't he? He left his comfortable home and went down to the bad part of the universe called Earth and hung around with those Wicked people called humans. Why? Because he was delighted to do so. Because he knew that was the only way. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. That joy was you and I and every man, woman, and child before they're changed. He saw the joy. He saw the potential in your life, and he was willing to die for it. We're now called to live like him, delighting in those around us even when they don't deserve it. Even when they're posting things on the internet that make you irate. You go, but I delight in that person. 
I love that person. I may disagree completely with everything they say and believe, but them as an individual, Jesus died for them and I'd die for them too if I had the chance. Is that where we're at? Well, sometimes. <laughs> that's, where, that's, where, that's where God's leading us to. Okay, as we become more and more like God, God's going to be gracious. It doesn't mean that there isn't time where you communicate truth, but you always communicate truth in love. It's in Ephesians. Speaking the truth in love. God's grace, his favor and delight is what changes us and changes the world. When we act with grace towards one another, then we'll see the similar result, godly transformation in those around us. It's not through anger. It's not through weapons, worldly weapons, carnal weapons that we're going to win this war. It's through heavenly weapons like grace and long-suffering and goodness and loving kindness and all these characteristics. In what way, I challenge you, can, can we show delight towards someone in our lives this week, especially someone who may not deserve it? Think of this. This is your homework for today's sermon. How can you show delight with someone who doesn't deserve it? Or someone that you normally would just pass by? <clears throat> I, I actually, because I, I spent many years before I was a pastor in, in sales, in, in both retail and, and business sales. <clears throat> and people treat uh, uh, people in stores and, and waitresses and, and that, and people treat them really poorly most often. I remember one time I was selling TVs. I got to wrap up here. This was way back when TVs were big and heavy. <laughs> and this guy came in, and he, I don't know what was wrong with him. But, uh, you know, I just started talking. I was salesman talking to him about something. He just starts cussing and swearing. I was like, and I just walked away. Left him right in the middle of the floor swearing. And it, and it shocked him. <laughs> and he came up, so I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have not. I said, Yeah, I just I don't like to hear those kind of words. And he was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And I actually sold him a TV. <laughs> he probably felt bad. <laughs> How can we demonstrate grace toward those who least deserve it in our lives? Find someone that you'd normally pass by and stop and delight in them. Who in your life do you need to be more gracious toward? Maybe it's someone that lives in your house. <laughs> Maybe it's you. Who in your life needs God's grace shown through you so that they can be transformed like you were transformed when you saw God's grace displayed through Jesus? Jesus.